All right, everyone. Hello, 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 hello. It is the live show, the second one on a Monday. Of course, maybe some of you are listening to this on Tuesday as in just an audio podcast, but that's fine too. But we are here live at 9 p.m. Eastern, actually 9.03 p.m. Eastern, a little late, uh, for June 13th. 2022 and in fact um this day would have been my parents 58th wedding anniversary today they got married on june 13th 1964 which is kind of funny because it seems for some reason in june it seems like the 13th of june like every other year falls on a um a friday which might say something about their marriage. I don't know. But uh, of course, my mother passed away a few years ago. So, but my dad is doing well. Um, what do I have in store for all of you? What is on the agenda? Going to talk about these Haitian uh, athletes who have disappeared right here in Florida, by the way, uh, within the last week or week and a half. I want to talk about the disappearance of Sylvia Friends, F-R-E-N-S. I want to talk about uh, this podcast that is coming out about Joshua Guimond. I'm going to talk about baby Holly Marie. Got some articles uh, to read to all of you. I want to talk about going to see Top Gun Maverick. And then there's also a very good article about the TV show Cops. And its effect, seemingly, that it has had on Americans' perceptions of crime in the United States. So, a uh, lot to cover in the next couple of hours. Very excited about it. Before I get too far into any of this, want to remind you to hit the subscribe button. If you've never watched this live show before, maybe you uh, got it in your podcast feed last week just as an audio program and you were like he does this live on youtube well i gotta check that out well maybe you're new to the live show so there's the subscribe button right down there in the bottom corner please like this video uh everybody knows that this live show is spectacular so just give it the likes now just give it the thumbs up just do it you know you're gonna like it uh, of course, share this. Uh, anybody who uh, out there who thinks they might have a family member, a friend, a coworker, a supervisor, you can share this and say, hey, you got to check out this live show that is now happening on Monday nights. And if you're really, really free, feeling frisky, you might hit the button right down there, the join button. And for 10 cents a day, you can get some extra stuff that I provide to members on this YouTube channel. And if you're wondering who those members are, you can just look off here to the chat uh, to the my right. I guess it would be your right too. Um, all those people who have their names in green are members of this channel, and I think they are enjoying it. In fact, some of you, if you'd like to type how you are enjoying your membership, uh, please do so as the live show continues tonight. 
So let me switch that. So let's see uh, what's going on in the chat room. And then we're just going to get right into the show. And I even have some questions for the from the audience that I got before um, I turned the camera on. Hello, Suzanne. And there's Hope. Good to see you. The Real coming to us from Australia. I see Australia is going to the World Cup, The Real. You have to be excited about that. And Laura, good to see you. Kathy, always a pleasure. Jasmine. Um, Laura's talking about my corny jokes. That's funny. K-Dog, what's going on with you? Good to see you. Uh, they flew over the bay. They would be bagels. That's funny. Laura, Laura. Hello, Charlotte. Uh, is Cop still going? Yeah, it was off for a while, but it is back. Um, but uh, we're going to get into a little bit uh, deeper part of that, the real, before uh, too long in this show tonight. And DLV, good to see you. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in on this new day of Monday. Hello, Lisa. Love your podcast. Oh, that's very nice of you to say. And look at that beautiful red heart you got there, Lisa. Thank you. Uh, as I usually do, I like to start off with just some uh, personal things. Uh, not much going on in my disc golf life uh, because I'm not playing another official tournament until like a month from now. And uh, so I've just gotten a, li a little practice in. And changing the show to Mondays does make me uh, able to go to a couple of things that usually go on here in P Pinellas County on Wednesday evenings that I were, was not able to attend beforehand. So I think I'm going to be uh, thinking about that uh, maybe on Wednesday. Of course, the big problem in going to those things is I could get home in time to do the live show at 9 p.m., but I'd be all sweaty and everything, and you know my hair just wouldn't look right. So I could never go to any of those. Uh, but here on Mondays, things have changed. And in fact, I've told one of the guys who runs uh, one of these um, groups that gets together on Monday or on Wednesday evenings that I'll probably be there. We'll see how it goes. All depends on the weather, as usually is the case with me. Uh, but I've just been getting some practice done. That's really about it. Not a lot going on in my disc golf life right now. Stitching, what's going on? Good to see you. Hello, Charlotte. Um, thanks for everybody who is tuning in. Hope everybody is remembering that this show has been moved to Mondays. Uh, some other things that are going on. Uh, I got a new smart TV today. Um, many of you know that this condo I live in, in, uh, in Clearwater beach, I rent and not just renting, but pretty much Almost everything that is in the condo is not mine. Of course, the posters that maybe you see, of course, you can see the video games in the background on my left. Um, the posters are mine and a lot of the things, but the refrigerator, the stove, the microwave, the TVs, the beds, the couches, the tables, most of the chairs are not mine. They were, they're all here and I just kind of moved me and me and my clothes, I guess. But the TV that is right back there, back to my left, uh, has not been good for a while. Sometimes it takes like five minutes to start. And then when it come on, it, it shut off by itself, then turn on and shut off. And then finally, it would stay on and the picture was fine, but it took some doing and it was continuing to get worse. 
So I told the realtor who uh, hooked me up with this place, and she talked to the owner of this condo. I've never met the owner of this condo. In fact, I don't even think I know the name of the owner of this condo. But I, my understanding is that they live uh, up in Ocala, which is a couple hours away, which is one of the places I disc golf. And uh, the realtor let them know that this TV was not doing uh, very well. And this morning I woke up to a 55-inch smart TV, a uh, new one in its box right outside my door. That ain't bad. So uh, I installed it today without the directions. So I don't, you know, I'm not, not totally old yet. And it is fantastic. Uh, I have uh, Netflix on there. I'm a, I have a subscription to Netflix. I have a subscription to Disney+. Plus. Of course, uh, YouTube is on there and all the apps and then regular TV. And I have the DVD player all hooked up to it. Did it all without any directions. So I'm not an old fogey yet. So um, that was uh, pretty fantastic. Now, however, I will say, according to the Amazon shipping, it was supposed to be here on Saturday. So I hung around uh, my condo all day Saturday uh, and it never did show up. Could have done some things but I didn't want to miss it being delivered. And then it instead shows up uh, today. And then I moved the TV that was there. I just put it in the guest bedroom for now. And it's, it's amazing. The TV that was there's probably it's a flat screen, but I'm going to say it's probably 15 years old, something like that. Heavy. Heavy, heavy. Now, it's, of course, very thin, but still very heavy. The TV, uh, this new TV, it's so light. It is so amazing uh, how the technology of TVs, of course, we know it, you know, going back to the 90s, they were still making TVs with the, the tubes and everything. And then the next big deal was like the really skinny TVs with better pictures, but they were still very heavy. Well, now here in 2022, um, they're skinny and they're light. And this is not a small TV. It's 55 inches diagonal. So, um, just crazy. It's just crazy to see, uh, how that's all changed over like the last 20 years, essentially since I left Pennsylvania and moved to Las Vegas. It's amazing how much has changed. And then the technology, of course, having, you know, this can be like a computer screen now and I, you can control it from your phone and everything. It's just so crazy, but I know I'm going to really, really, uh, enjoy that. And in fact, I made the joke today that, uh, with, uh, the view that I have right out behind me and then gasoline being $5 a gallon. And now that I have this smart TV, I may never leave this condo again. <laughs> I joked around. So, um, so that's something uh, new in my life. And uh, the other TV, though, I have a TV that's in uh, my bedroom that's fine. It's not a smart TV. It's just a regular like the other one. Uh, but it's fine. Great picture and no problems with that one. It was only the one that was out here that it would take forever to come on. And even when it would come on, the picture would be messed up and you'd have to shut it off and turn it off and on a few times before it would ever be right. Um, but 15 years, I'm guessing the TV's 15 years old, getting 15 years out of the TV is pretty good. And so what's going on in the chat? Uh, there's hope. Thank you very, um, 
uh, much for the super chat contribution there. That's what there's hope has done. Uh, said, watch some disc golf YouTube videos with people weaving discs through trees. And one guy, the guy weaved the disc around trees and put it in the basket. Can you do stuff like that? It was really cool. Um, if you're watching it on YouTube, those players are probably way better than I am. There's hope. But I have some aces. I have three aces to my name, and I think that's what you're talking about there. But surely not as good as those guys. But yeah, get into disc golf. It'd be cool. Um, and so what else is everybody saying here? Um, yeah, if I can, I'm doing it without directions. Jasmine, maybe you're getting a smart TV too. And Lisa leaving a tip because I've listened for, listened for years and always enjoy your content style. I also try to mention unfound on all groups and forums. Thank you, Lisa. See, somebody's paying attention to the, uh, where you can find unfound sections of the podcast. Thank you, Lisa. Lisa, we're just not skipping to the interview. I appreciate you listening to the whole thing. Uh, and thank you for your contribution. You are uh, very uh, generous. Thank you so much. And once again, do not forget to hit the thumbs up as you are uh, watching tonight. And then for all of you listening, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, please give this podcast uh, a five-star review, thumbs up, whatever, and whatever podcast app you are listening uh, in. And then uh, lastly, as far as the personal stuff, and then we'll get into uh, all the unfound items and other things that I want to talk about tonight. I went to see Top Gun Maverick last Tuesday, so the day after the last live show. I actually went to see my sports psychologist, and then I went to see Top Gun Maverick, and I went to this theater um, down here, what is it? Park Boulevard. Um, it's a fairly new theater within maybe the last four or five years, something like that. But they serve you lunch or whatever else while you're watching the movie. So you have a really nice seat, but it has like this tray and all of that. It's called like the movie star grill or movie studio grill or something. And I guess this is kind of a, a chain of theaters that do this. Man, that was fantastic. I could get really used to that. It gets expensive real quick. But for a treat once in a while, that was not bad at all. Um, so I enjoyed that. And the movie was fantastic. I would recommend it to anybody, uh, especially, of course, those Gen Xers who can remember when they were young and uh, Top Gun, the first one came out and you were maybe 16 years old and Highway to the Danger Zone and um, Take My Breath Away and all of that. It's going to take you right back to that. Going to take you right back to that. I thought uh, the action was spe spectacular. Um, you know, the story I thought was really good. I thought the acting was good. Uh, you know, the only thing that I would say that uh, was less than the first movie was the music. I, I don't think that Lady Gaga song that's in that that movie touches Take My Breath Away from Berlin. Does not touch it. So there's that. Uh, they did play Highway to the Danger Zone um, from Kenny Loggins in this movie at the beginning. So it made an appearance. But I just thought maybe the music overall was better in the movie in the 1980s and then this one. But other than that, 
you got to say from a story point of view, an acting point of view, an action point of view, all of that, it is superior to the original, but you just have to remember it's also 36 years later. So a lot of advancements have been made in technology and, and everything else. So, um, but I thought it was really good. It even might be one of those movies you want to see more than once because there was so much uh, going on. Uh, I think that all the great reviews that it's gotten from critics and from uh, just the regular audience moviegoers is earned. And, um, you know, you just never know. Of course, this movie was supposed to come out like two years ago before COVID. But I can see why they stuck to their guns and not releasing it like on streaming or anything, because you really do need to see it in the theater. Now, I didn't see it in IMAX. It was just a regular uh, screen. But uh, I just thought, and it, it's, I'm just, and I'm not afraid to um, say it. It's a Kleenex movie. It is. You got to be one cold-hearted, you know what, uh, to not maybe give up a few tears in this movie. And it's earned. It's earned. Uh, it's not mushy. It's not melodramatic. Um, it was good. It was good. And, and there were funny parts. And it all made sense. It really did. So if you haven't seen it yet, you should go see it. Um, do you need to see the first one? Yes. It's a sequel. You got to see the first one to understand uh, you don't need to see the first one to understand the plot necessarily of this movie, but you certainly need to see the first one to understand the characters in this movie. So that is the first movie I've seen in a theater in over 10 years. So that is saying something. Last movie I saw in the theater was Cowboys and Aliens, which was horrible, which I think ruined my movie going experience. All of like the Marvel movies and everything, I saw them all on streaming. Um, you know, once they came out on uh, or on DVD or something like that, I didn't see any of them. I saw maybe there, like when I lived in Las Vegas, like the original Iron Man and some of those others in the theater. But once I moved to Florida, I didn't see any of those Marvel movies in the theater. So I would recommend it. Uh, the real says there's a disc golf club in my near city. I found out a relatively small regional city too. So it's definitely everywhere. Uh, the real, you know, they have an Australian open. At least they used to, there was a, a fairly big tournament, but it was just a, a kind of, frankly, kind of a pain to everybody for everybody to fly down there to play. That was the issue. Um, so there's hope you've been to a theater like that with the food and everything. Yeah. The food was great. Yeah. Deborah, thank you. You are very generous with your super chat contribution. There's hope agrees with me regarding the music. Uh, there's hope says I'm in aviation. Can't watch the aviation movies. I, I think you got to give it a shot. Uh, there's hope. Got to give it a shot. Last movie I saw in the movie was the grudge. It's been that long. I've never seen that movie. The real, I don't even know when that came out, but, um, I think I am going to start going back to the movies again. I did not. I'd like to see Doctor Strange, but just didn't get around to it. But um, I'm not a big Jurassic Park, Jurassic Kingdom guy, so I don't see myself seeing that. But um, 
I hope that I can start getting back to the theaters a little bit because I do. I mean, when I lived in Las Vegas, I, during at least the summer, like from like May to like August, going back to maybe, you know, I don't know. Um, to, you know, when I worked at Star Trek and maybe even after that, I'd be at the movies. When a movie came out on a Friday, I would be there. Now, I was filmmaking at the time, so maybe I thought it was my responsibility to go. But I would be at the theater on a Friday afternoon when a, a movie was showing for the first time. And I would kind of chart it out which ones I was going to go see. Um, so I saw a lot of movies when I lived in Las Vegas. I'd go down to Sunset Station uh, Theater, the Samstown um, Theater as well. Those are like my two main places, maybe Boulder City. Uh, most of the theaters in Las Vegas are attached to casinos. I'd also go, I um, forget what the other, uh, where I last lived, there was a casino right down the street where I'd go see movies over there. So um, went to see a lot of movies when I lived in Las Vegas. Then I kind of got away from it when I got to Florida. Um, yeah, the Valerie almost forgot. Yeah, that's all right. Gonna take a little bit used to getting used to. All right, so that's kind of all of the um, personal stuff going on. In uh, hello, uh, Brittany. Thanks. Yeah, it's it's a great shirt. Thank you. Good to see you. So let's move on to uh, the true crime part of the show. And I'm going to mix in a few questions that I've gotten before uh, the show started, too, that are not necessarily... Well, one of them is certainly not true crime-based. <clears throat> the other ones are, and uh, I'll kind of slip them in before we finish an hour and a half from now. First, as I usually do, I like to start with the poll uh, that I always put out on Saturday mornings. Uh, the day after the Friday episode comes out, the dis I guess would call it the disappearance episode comes out. Now that there are two podcasts on the same feed, this is the live show podcast. And I guess the other one's going to have to have a name. It's the disappearance podcast. Um, the Bradley Straisner poll and the choice that I gave everybody in the discussion group that's on Facebook. If you're not yet in the group, I think you should consider getting in there. It has like, 8,500 members or something. Um, the question was, did Bradley park the car? He was driving his girlfriend's or I guess almost ex-girlfriend's cars. Her name was Chelsea. He was driving her car. Uh, his mother's understanding was that he was going to be taking the car to Chelsea's. Of course, he didn't end up there. The car ended up just right down the street. It was backed up against this fence or gate or whatever. And that's how this disappearance got started. So the question was, did Bradley put the car there or did somebody else put the car there? In the discussion group, uh, the, the, the most popular of yes or no, uh, was it Bradley or somebody else? Most people picked that it was someone else who put the car there, which I guess then would mean that there are some people out there in... Louisiana in the Leesville, Louisiana area who know exactly what happened to Bradley Strasner. 
Uh, now, in the, the think tank, as is usually the situation, um, there were a couple people who thought that somebody else is responsible for Bradley's disappearance and put his car there. But then somebody else, uh, one person in the the uh, think tank at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast decided that it was possible that yes, he did park the car there, but then he was meeting somebody there and then he got in somebody else's car and left. So I guess that's still Bradley putting the car there, but I think when I put the question in the discussion group regarding the poll, the idea was that, he parked the car there and then something happened to him and he walked off or something. I wasn't thinking about somebody else picking him up. I guess it's possible. There are no facts to dispute that. But I know one person in the think tank decided uh, that, that that was very possible. But even in the think tank, um, the, the, but in the think tank opposite the discussion group, most people decided that Bradley did park the car there. Uh, and something, he disappeared all by himself. Now, for me, uh, I know I say this every week, uh, but I'm always anticipating that there are new people watching or listening to this live show. I write a blog at patreon.com forward slash unfoundpodcast, and I've been doing that since about September of 2017, so right around when this live show first started. And in that blog, I get deep into the details. I, something uh, that, I, you know, and I come comment on the facts. That's something that I do not do very much in the interviews. We don't like to theorize too much, although once in a while we will. Um, but really try to stay away from really trying to draw any conclusions about Theorizing, well, if John Doe killed Jane Doe, then we don't do things like that. But I really try, really, really, really try hard to just allow all of you to come to your own conclusions and analyze the facts the way, the way you want to. But that's what I do in the blog. It's private. You need to pay $2 a month at least at patreon.com to read what I have to say. I think people like that. Get a lot of positive... Um, uh, responses from that. And it's from writing those blogs that I've been able to craft these presentations that I now do at schools. It's, it's where that's where it all got started. So I decided that Bradley did park the car there all by himself. And I, I'm not inclined to believe that, um, anybody assisted or caused his disappearance other than Bradley. How, if you want to see why I, how I come to that conclusion, why I come to that conclusion, why I reject some of the other things that were talked about in the interview, uh, you're going to have to go to patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast to, uh, read all about that. And I try to give everybody their money's worth, even at $2 a month. Uh, it's always at least 3,000 words that I write there. Sometimes it could be 5,000. It just depends. But you usually get 3,000 words of commentary at least on the blog, with the blog. Valerie, you are very generous. Look at all these people coming in with the super chat tonight. Valerie, thank you very much. Uh, Brittany asks, is that Miss Pac-Man in the background? No, that is just regular Pac-Man, Brittany. 
Mr. Pac-Man, uh, I guess. <laughs> yes. Um, let's see uh, what everybody's saying here in the chat. Yeah, I'm not going to get into that. Ella, that's not really what um, I do here. But um, what else? Um, yeah, and, and Sheree, by the way, is on vacation. So I'm going to have to uh, manage the, the comments myself in case we get any trolls in here. It makes it a little more difficult to talk. Um, so I have to keep more of an eye on the Super Chat than I usually do. But uh, Sheree deserves some time off. So that was the Bradley Straysner poll. Uh, and uh, Tony did contact me today. I, I hope to follow up with her going over, um, you know, some of the responses to the episode. I like to do that with all of the guests and usually like to let the, the episode be up there uh, for about a month, maybe at least three weeks before I will get back and, you know, have, you know, um, email them or call them or, or whatever I think is appropriate to follow up and just kind of go through my thoughts of how the episode went over, what I saw people, um, you know, commenting on and their responses, of course, talk about what went on in the think tank at patreon.com, giving them an idea of what people are thinking, whether it's a disappearance that is very, very new, like Bradley's or the week before with Mary Watkins, of course, going back to 1978. I, I treat all of the guests pretty much the same. I, I give the time for the episode to be out there, and then we talk again, and I want to make sure that the guests always understand that they can call me, email me anytime if um, whatever they need to talk about regarding the, their particular disappearance stitching says, uh, give me the wrench. That's uh, funny stitching. I appreciate that. Maybe I should think about getting a backup when Shree can't make it. Uh, of course, as you know, uh, Shree usually makes it for uh, at least 50 of the 52 live shows we do a year. We do one a week. So I haven't really thought about having a backup person, but maybe I need you know, to do that. Maybe Shree want, needs to have uh, a few Monday evenings off once in a while. So, Stitching, I'll think about it. Thank you for putting that in my mind. Moving on, I want to tell you about this coming Thursday. Can't forget about this. Dr. Telesco and I are getting together again, uh, as we do uh, almost monthly. It just depends. Sometimes things come up with her. Mostly her, not me. I maybe It seems maybe I have a little more flexible schedule than she does. But... Uh, we're getting together again this Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern for the um, for the the uh, her live show, and we will be talking about the disappearance of Julie Wefflin. In fact, that reminds me, I need to call John Polos again. Maybe I'll try to call him after this live show's over tonight. He lives on the West Coast, so it'll only be like eight that time. Maybe I'll try to call him again just to let him know uh, that that's going to be happening because he was the guest for that episode going back. It's two years now. seems like yesterday. But we're going to be discussing her disappearance. A lot to talk about. A couple different ways you can look at her disappearance. You might think that Will Parks did it. There was certainly an attack. She certainly didn't want to fall on her own. Just unsure who uh, attacked her.
If you're unfamiliar with that um, uh, disappearance, then uh, please go find it on, of course, Spotify or iTunes or wherever. And that is an episode that came out roughly two years ago. The, the title of the episode is called The Women's Reject. The reason I called it that is because at least John seems to believe that Will Parks is responsible for more than just Julie's disappearance. Uh, could be responsible for Deborah Swanson's as well, and it very well may be in both situations. He wanted to do something to him because allegedly they rejected him. I'm not sure I believe all of that, but that was the title of the episode. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, if you've never watched my uh, shows with Dr. Telesco before, they will occur, or they've always occurred, and this one will occur on the Fischler College of Education and School of Criminal Justice YouTube channel, not on Unfound's YouTube channel, on her channel. It's the universities. It's Nova Southeastern's uh, university's YouTube channel. It will be live, so people can watch and type in the chat. Uh, I do a lot of talking during that show, setting everything up. And going through everything, but then usually the, about the last 20 minutes of the show, Dr. Telesco and I will get to have a good conversation regarding, you know, what the facts were and 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 how it was investigated and all of that. And then she's oftentimes, if not all the time, allows some of her assistants, uh, students, to also ask questions, make comments before we're done. Those shows go at least an hour, but she really tries to keep them under about an hour and 10 minutes. So I hope you will make time. Once again, that's 7 p.m. Eastern on the Fischler College of Education and School of Criminal Justice uh, channel on YouTube. So once again, Julie Wefflin, uh, that's a disappearance from 1987, so 35 years ago. Um, let me go to one of these articles uh, that I want to talk about for tonight. Maybe I'll just uh, start with the first one I mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, the disappearance of these five uh, Haitian soccer players and their coach from Orlando, which of course is not very far from me. It's about um, not quite two hours in that direction. And so let me uh, read this article uh, to you and, um, you know, have some comments on it. Uh, and, and the funny thing is I had it on my agenda for tonight and somebody had actually asked me, Ed, are you going to be talking about that? And the reason they're asking me is because these people have disappeared. Now, this is, um, you know, unique type of disappearance. I don't know if any. There might, have, of course, be some crimes involved here, but not exactly what you're thinking. And then it's it, it does then cause me to talk about uh, yesteryear regarding these types of situations. Charlotte, uh, you had a trouble with Unfound on the Ground. I'm sorry to hear that, Charlotte. Uh, the best way to, if you do that, is to tell me there's a problem while it's happening. Uh, you should have emailed me or something. Maybe we could have figured it out while the um, show was going on. Uh, unfound on the ground was going on. Okay, let's uh, talk. Uh, let me read this article that comes from Orlando. Five soccer players and the coach of the Haitian delegation for the 2022 Special Olympics USA Games went missing from their hotel earlier this week, 
according to the Osceola County Sheriff's Office. In a Facebook June 7th post, so roughly a week ago, police officials said an investigation is underway to find the missing men who have a range of intellectual disabilities. Most importantly, no foul play is suspected. Anyone with information about the Haitian athletes is asked to contact police at 321-697-4546. Officials identified the missing as Joseph Mithin Nicholson Fonnitz, Peter Milanovic Burles, Anderson Pettit, Freer Stevenson, Jacquet, and Oriel Jean. You can certainly tell they're from Haiti. These Their ages age uh, range from 18 to 32, and the team is mainly made up of people with disabilities. The group had traveled to Orlando to compete in the Special Olympics USA Games. They had been staying in a hotel near the ESPN Wide World of Sports. I know exactly where that is. While their whereabouts are still unknown as of this writing, it's largely suspected the group is hiding to avoid to returning to crisis-mired Haiti. Even though Haiti, Haiti has had a lot of problems going back, uh, on for a long time between government upheaval, poverty, and then they've been hit by a couple earthquakes that have just been devastating. If proven true, the Special Olympics athletes would be the latest case of Haitian athletes leaving their team and officials' duties as representatives of Haiti while abroad, though the number involved is not usually so high. Over the years, several Haitian athletes have defected or attempted to flee while traveling overseas to remain in the host country. In 2021, three Arche football club members fled from the team hotel in Mexico City. Arche had traveled to Mexico to play Mexican side Cruz Azul in the CONCACAF Champions League. In 2015, 13 members of the Hades under-17 soccer team also went missing in New York during an overnight stopover at JFK International Airport. The team was traveling to South Korea to prepare for the World Cup. Uh, the players were found, later found two of them in Boston. This latest instance has left many in the Haitian community critical of athletes who defect. Speaking with Miami Herald, Haiti's Special Olympics board chair, Rachel Pierre Champagne, said, with these types of events and with the situation that's happening in Haiti, it's unfortunate that there are people who are going to be selfish and take these opportunities for themselves and not look at the needs of the greater community and the common good for all of us. All right. So what I think is important, surely here's what happened. This is uh, something that they planned to do before they ever got into uh, United States airspace. The issue, though, I see here, as it says, is most of these athletes, uh, I think all of the athletes, maybe not the managers and the coaches, but the athletes themselves uh, had mental disabilities. So this would then really cause me to think, you know, would they have had the ability to even think about defecting? I don't know. Uh, of course, when we start talking about people with uh, mental disabilities, uh, for whatever reason, whether they had some injury or genetic, that can that is a wide range. Uh, somebody uh, maybe has could have an IQ of like eighty or sixty, or it could be somebody that you know, it's way lower than that people. There are people who have learning disabilities that can manage their lives. And we know there are, of course, a lot of people with learning disabilities, mental disabilities that cannot 
even for one second. So I don't know the range of these people, but in general, I would think that they would not maybe be able to put it all together. Hey, I'm going to the United States and then I'm going to go missing. I'm going to go run away and hide in another country so I don't have to go back to my home country. So it would, I would tend to believe that it was probably these coaches, managers, whoever else that came up with this scheme and decided that they were going to take the athletes with them. I'm not saying any harm is going to come to the athletes, but it very well could be that uh, these coaches and managers uh, of this team decided to do this because these athletes have mental disabilities. And they thought, well, you know what? Maybe we can stay in the United States. We can do this. We can do that. And they can get better care in the United States. Or it very well could be that these coaches uh, are just thinking of themselves. They want to stay here. And it might be easier for them to stay here if they just drag along the athletes with them. It's all possible. All right, but I think you just have to remember, unlike these other stories that are mentioned um, here where athletes uh, were going somewhere, like they said, going to South Korea, and when they got to JFK, they just took off. It's obvious those athletes did not have any mental disabilities, and they had surely had the ability to put their plan together all by themselves. I'm not sure the athletes they're talking about in this long article uh, had the ability to do that. Now, where are they? They could, they could be anywhere. Uh, it would lead. I, I'm inclined to believe that this was not something like I said that happened. You know, while they're in Orlando, and they're like, "Oh yeah, you know what? It'd be kind of nice to stay here in the United States." This is something. Is probably as soon as they found out that they were going to the Special Olympics in Orlando, the the thought was in their head, "Yeah, we got to do this." So it very well could be that they already had something planned out. They're going to get there and then somebody's going to come pick them all up and they're going to take them here. They're going to take them there. Maybe they already have fake IDs for them already. Uh, they're maybe going to take them to, uh, for example, maybe they have a Haitian community or Orlando. I have no idea if they do or not. I don't know. Um, it would seem more likely to me that, um, Haitians coming to this country, if they wanted to defect or stay hidden, they're going to maybe go to Miami where I'm sure there's a Haitian community there. They can maybe kind of blend in, have the same, uh, language. Of course in Haiti, they, sp uh, they speak French. I'm sure a lot of the people speak English too, but French and they can go back and forth with that. That would make things easier. And I'm guessing whoever's trying to track the, all of these people down, that's what they're trying to do. How big of a deal is this? I don't know. I know that uh, here in the United States, and I'm, as you know, we don't get into politics and religion here. Um, you know, a lot of people I think are going to be upset about this because these people, you know, might be in here for a long time. Thus, I guess they're not here illegally, and so they're illegal immigrants, and they shouldn't be here. And then there's going to be a whole group saying, well, you know, you have to look at these people, uh, at least the athletes themselves, who maybe really don't understand all the implications of what's going on. And surely uh, these athletes might have better opportunities being mentally disabled in the United States than they do in Haiti. So there's going to be that. There's going to be both sides of this. 
I got to tell you, in the end, I don't think it really makes uh, one, you know, big difference one way or the other. However, I'm sure their families who are still in Haiti are worried sick about them or they're not. Maybe they're communicating somehow, email, uh, Snapchat, TikTok or something like that, some or some secret way. And these uh, athletes have been able to communicate with their families back in Haiti and saying, hey, we're just fine. And I very well could be, too. Now, as far as athletes uh, ending up in the United States and not wanting to go back to their home countries, this was much more common uh, going back to the good old Cold War days between the United States and the Soviet Union. Um, you know, we might think about uh, a tennis player like Martina Navratilova. Now, technically, she didn't um, disappear, but she defected. She's actually from Czechoslovakia. She, uh, before it was the Czech Republic. And, um, of course she was, uh, you know, number one tennis player, uh, one of the greatest tennis players of all time, surely. And she played for Czechoslovakia. And at some point she wanted the heck out. And for a lot of, for a lot of reasons, most of them probably being monetary, you could make a lot more money. Uh, you know, getting out of Czechoslovakia and getting your citizenship in the United States and getting all those endorsements and anything, everything that you ever could being from behind, uh, you know, the, the iron curtain. So that's, uh, a person that came to mind, um, you know, very famous defection. And then also if you want to go in a different direction, Mikhail Baryshnikov, he defected, uh, of course, ballet dancer. He was a Russian. Uh, he defected, didn't want to be Russian anymore, and I um, think he might have done that through Canada, though, maybe. But this, these kinds of things regarding famous people, regarding athletes and actors, uh, was much more common back in those days, the 60s, 70s, 80s, than you hear about now, mainly because... You know, most countries in the world today are democracies of uh, one type or another. Now, maybe North North Korea, of course, is an exception. And, of course, their citizens, I don't think, ever even travel out of the country. But if they do to, like, go to the Olympics, they're herded around like cattle. They're not given any privacy, and they're not given any chances to ever get away from their handlers and, and everything else. But, um, you know, you don't see much of this today as much as you used to see, you know, maybe 30 years ago. Um, but uh, things are uh, a little bit different. But even on this story, uh, just another one of these, um, this group, I don't think it once again was an athlete. I think it was once again a coach or a manager or someone like that. He by himself went missing just with or went missing just within the last couple days. So there was this group that went missing like not long after they got here. And then just within the last 24 to 48 hours, another person from this group uh, went missing as well and did so once again in that Disney area uh, somewhere. And my guess is probably that guy ended up where all of these others went. And you have to think, what would you do? You know, if you lived in a very poor country that um, 
you know, had been devastated by earthquakes, def devastated by political upheaval and poverty and, and all of these things put together. And you're some athlete and you, you get to go to another country. It doesn't even need to be the United States. Um, you know, just going from Haiti to a lot of, you know, South American countries, any of the South American countries probably would be a big improvement. And you might think about, you know what? I think I might run off. I think I might take my chances. Maybe they won't find me. Maybe I'll be able to change my name and, you know, stick around here. This is what's going through these people's minds. But like I said, in this case, I don't know. It seems to me that these athletes probably got uh, roped into something that was not of their own uh, making, but it was making of their coaches and managers. But they're missing. That's what we do here at Unfound. We talk about missing persons cases. Uh, but I'm thinking in this one, um, it's certainly a crime what they did. <laughs> if they get caught, they will be sent back to Haiti, pretty sure. But uh, So there was a crime that way, but I don't think anything... Uh, a foul play or anything. I, I would have to say pretty sure that all of these people are still very mu much alive. In fact, my guess is probably they're eating well, they're drinking well, and uh, somebody's just, uh, you know, taking care of them, hiding them for the time being. I don't believe that any of them died or anything like that, which is good. All right. Uh, so that's that. Qu uh, that was the article. Somebody asked me, are you going to talk about that? And I said, yeah, I am. I did catch my eye. Any sort of disappearance, missing persons, no matter what the circumstances are, um, is going to catch my attention. Uh, Kathy's saying, yeah, we had a good discussion on uh, Sunday night uh, for the unfound on the ground. And Sweet Gator asked me, I'm just wondering how they would hide if they stick together. Well, you know, I, I would have to, like I said, Sweet Gator, excuse me, I don't think this was something that was just spur of the moment. Um, you have a group like that, and especially if a coach or a manager is involved, of course, a coach or a manager, you'd come to this country. They're going to be the one saying, Hey guys, we're going to meet at this time. We're going to meet this time. This is what we're going to go do. And my guess is this coach manager had, uh, it all planned out well beforehand, but I agree with you. Uh, it'd be easier for one person to kind of just, you know, kind of, um, blend in and five or six, especially, uh, given that these uh, these uh, young men have some mental, um, you know, disabilities, uh, but that's what they chose to do, and uh, you know, uh, so they may not stick together. I, I just don't know, but it seems to me probably it was pretty planned out. Charlie, you don't have to apologize to it, but anytime, anytime anybody has any problems logging onto any show, anything. I'm easy to find. I'm always ready to help somebody out. Uh, Laura, that was me to ask you if you would cover that. Uh, you were already on it. Yeah, I was already on it, Laura. Uh, but that's uh, that's very keen eye uh, seeing that story. I think that maybe that kind of story is going to get by most people who take an interest in disappearances. But it's still a missing persons case. And it's still something that we uh, should think about. I'm not saying that we've ever covered any disappearance on Unfound. It's like it. But it um, you know, maybe in its own way, um, you know, you know, maybe we can apply it somewhere down the road. Uh, Ellis saying my son has a mental disability and there's no way we'd be able to put this all on his gun. My son also needs to have his normal routine. That's what makes him feel safe. So I can't imagine everyone would be on board with this. 
just don't know. Uh, I, I'm, I don't, I don't know. Uh, once again, I think when you get to, uh, this type of situation with the team, I, I'm guessing that there was a lot of trust put in these managers and coaches. And especially when you, maybe you have, um, children or young, you know, people, even full grown adults who, um, can't process information like the rest of us. They tend to be more trusting of people in, in authoritative positions, uh, teachers, um, coaches, managers, police officers. They tend to be that way. So it might just be they just went along with it. Mm-mm. I, I, don't, I don't know. Thank you, Charlotte, for letting us know. Uh, yeah, I just hope no one is being forced. Yeah, let's hope not. Uh, I, I'm certainly hoping not. Uh, there's hope. Uh, certainly hoping not. But. I think probably the best resolution as we can hope for is that they are found, you know, because as long as they're kind of living off the grid in the United States, they may not have the poverty issues they have in Haiti and they don't, don't have to worry about any earthquakes here in Florida or any government upheaval. But surely there is going to get to a point where being here is going to be difficult, probably. So uh, let me answer this question. Uh, this is uh, a personal question, like I said, that was asked of me earlier today. And I haven't talked about this in a while, but um, the question was about myself and the rest of my family. And it was a question about, you know, me, um, you know, my biological uh, family. And let me just... Uh, read the question. This question is from Brian. I don't know if he's in here or not. Brian, are your brothers and sisters from your biological mother or your adopted parents? I have, uh, I know many of you have been with Unfound since the beginning know about this, but a lot of you are new and I haven't talked about this in a while. Um, I have two brothers and a sister. Um, my sister Diane is the oldest. And then it's Michael, then Brian, then, then myself. They are full-blooded genetics, genetic siblings. We all have the same fathers, uh, father and mother. Okay. And so, but because I was born uh, a little while later after all of them, to say the least, uh, my biological parents chose to uh, give me up for adoption when I was born which was August 1st, 1970. And then a month later, I was adopted by Ed and Loretta Densel, who raised me. They are my parents. When I talk about my dad, who is still alive at 85 years old, that's who I'm talking about, Edward C. Densel. I'm Edward Densel, but I don't have a middle name, so I'm not a junior. And then my mother, who died in November 28th, 2018, Loretta Jean Densel, that is my mother. That's who raised me, but she did not... Uh, birth me. Um, in fact, she my uh, the reason they adopted me is because my mother could not have children. Coincidentally, though, my biological mother actually died the same year of 2018. She died in March of 2018. And then my mother uh, died in November of 2018. 2018 was a horrible, 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 horrible year. Great friend found. Horrible for me personally. In addition to that, 
My best friends, uh, the Kara stories, their mother, Judy, died in July of 2018, and she was like my third mother. So all of my mothers died in 2018. It was a horrible year. So when I talk about my brothers and my sister, they we all have the same father, all have the same mother. They all Those three grew up together. I was the only one that was given up for adoption for obvious reasons. And then in 1994, not quite, I wasn't quite 24 yet. Uh, we all got back together. Uh, they were looking for me and they found me and we've just hung out and done everything since gone on vacations, holidays. Um, of course my brother, Brian and his wife live about 20 minutes from me here. We have to go to a trivia team. Brian and I do a lot together. So, uh, that is the answer, uh, to that question, Brian, but I was raised as an only child. It was kind of awesome. <laughs> I, you know, in some ways it was awesome, but in others, you know, it might've been cool, you know, growing up to have, uh, two brothers and a sister, but I have to say that they are so much older than myself that even if my biological parents had kept me, it almost would have been like I was an only child. So maybe, um, you know, maybe that was just the way it was supposed to be that either way I was going to get raised all by myself. So, uh, that's the story. Um, uh, my sister and her husband live in Canfield, Ohio. They have a son, Charlie, and he has two children, two sons. Um, my brother, Michael lives in Pittsburgh with his wife, Patty. He has no kids. They have no kids together. She has a son from a prior marriage. And then my brother, Brian, uh, is married to his wife, Laureen. They've been married since 2006 and she has two daughters who I think are in their early thirties. And then my brother, Brian has two children, Ashley, who has a daughter, and then he also has a son, John, who's getting married in September. He's getting married here in Florida, and I will be going to that wedding. And, and Ashley was born in 84. John was born in December of 85. So that is my biological side. On the dental side, there's just me and my dad. <laughs> I mean, my mother's side, the Ravatis, I don't see them much anymore. But... um my dad's sister died in 2010, 2011. She didn't have any kids. So it's really just me and my dad who are left uh, as dentists. So that's the question, Brian. I uh, hadn't talked about that for a while. And I, I realized that maybe once in a while, if on a live show or even on an episode, I may talk about my brothers or my sister. But then in some other fashion, I may talk about being raised as an only child. And, you know, and then people getting, well, which is it, Ed? Well, it's both. Go figure. All right. Moving on. I want to talk about, we've got about an hour to go. Um, you're so, uh, you're very welcome. I, um, there. We, and if everybody's wondering, uh, if you're watching the chat, Charles is my nephew. That is my, uh, sister Diane son. Charles. So nice of you to join us tonight. So nice. Uh, he was here last week. I thought he got in a little late. But uh, that is my nephew, uh, Charles, coming uh, to us from Colorado. And in fact, maybe some of you even remember when I went out to testify in that trial, um, Charles 
And his two sons came up to visit me in Greeley, and we had a great time. We had great pizza, hung out in my hotel room. It was a fantastic time. And so uh, there you go. So, Charles, thank you for tuning in. All right, uh, moving on. I want to talk about this, uh, this new podcast that's going to be coming out this Saturday. You know I don't talk too much about other true crime podcasts or anything like that, mainly because I don't listen to them. No time, a lot of different reasons. But you know that I talk a lot about the Fine Jody podcast uh, that's on episode like 32. In fact, I spoke to Caroline Lowe this past week, at least through Messenger. Uh, I'm a big fan of that podcast. I've listened to almost all of the episodes there. But this one I think all of you should pay attention to. It's coming out this Saturday. I believe it's going to be on iTunes and Spotify and elsewhere. I do not believe that this guy has done a podcast before, but he is going to do a series podcast. So unlike Unfound, which is a disappearance, different disappearance um, every week, uh, this will be like Jody's covering a different aspect of a disappearance, of the same disappearance every week. Very much like what Payne Lindsay did for Up and Vanished. Coincidentally, the name of this uh, podcast is called Simply Vanished. And uh, this guy's done a lot of work, uh, doing a lot of research, working with different people, uh, trying to dig up new information about the disappearance of Joshua Guimond. I think it is helpful that this guy is from Minnesota and has been following Josh's disappearance for a long time. Uh, he had contacted me months ago. I've never met this guy in person. I wouldn't even say that I know him very well, but I've talked to him maybe three or four times uh, through Messenger, and then he and I did talk on the phone earlier this week. Seems to be a good guy. Seems to be going about things in, in the right way. But a while ago, he had kind of asked me, Ed, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? I gave him my best opinions on some things. Uh, in starting out, and then uh, just within the last couple of weeks, he, you know, kind of let me know, you know, we're on the edge of uh, starting this, and did I have any, you know, any more insights that I could give to him? And I'm always really ready to help people out. I mean, that was surely something that I did not get uh, before starting the old podcast or this one. Kind of winged it. Um, maybe in the long run, that was good. In the short run at the time, it was not good. But I think you want to put this on uh, your list of things to listen to because it does sound to me, and I'm not going to ruin anything. I, he told me a lot of what he's going to be discussing, and of course, I would never steal somebody else's thunder on any of this. But I think you're going to hear some new things, uh, certainly more than what was covered when Unfound covered... Uh, Josh's disappearance way back in 2016. This is certainly going to be way more in depth. Um, and in the end, you'll have to make, uh, you know, the decisions for yourself. I've not, he's not, I don't know if he's ever, even ever recorded anything yet. Given that it's coming out this Saturday, probably he has. I've not listened to it, but kind of charted it out of how many episodes, and once again, I'm not going to give that away, but how many episodes it's going to be, how long they're going to be. And, um, you know, he's asking me, you know, uh, about a few particular things in what order we talked about. 
I think I can say this. One of the things I always try to remember in doing Unfound is I always take for granted that, you know, even though I know all of you know a lot about a lot of different disappearances, when I do interviews, I just take for granted that nobody knows anything about that disappearance. I don't care if it's Brian Schaefer. I don't care if it's Susie Lyle. I don't care if it's Jody Husentrut. I approach every disappearance as if nobody's heard about this disappearance before. Try to. And so that's what I told him. You know, never take anything for granted. Joshua Guimond's disappearance is well known. Maybe not as well known as Brian Schaefer's, but it's up there. Um, so never take for granted that your listeners already know all of the generalities of what he was doing that night and what the date was and where he was. You'd have to cover all of it. You got to cover all of it. And then eventually get to maybe this new information that's not been public, but you got to set everything up the right way. And I think he's going to do that. So, um, like I said, it does sound to me like there's going to be uh, some new things. I think it's certainly going to make you think. Uh, I have to admit, I don't know if my mind has changed yet, but some of yours may. And if you're still up in the air about what you think happened to Josh, this could shape your, you know, maybe push you one direction or the other. We'll just have to see. So once again, this fra this Saturday, so that would be June 18th, the first episode will be coming out. Uh, there is a website. I think it's uh, simplyvanish.com maybe. And so you want to make sure that uh, you're looking for that. And I don't know if I'm going to comment on it every week or however often these episodes come out, but just like I do with the Find Jody podcast, as the episodes come out on this live show, I will offer some insights and some commentary. Um, but it'll be up to you. I'm not going to go through every single thing. I'm hoping that you will take the time to listen to these uh, episodes yourselves. Uh, I don't think that these are going to be unfound length episodes of like two hours. Uh, my guess is they're going to be less than hour, less than an hour. That's what I would say. Um, Charlotte says, going back to the previous uh, question, I was only a child till I was 11. My brother was born. Then four years later, my youngest brother was born. He was the one who died on March 2nd of this year. Sorry to hear that Charlotte. Uh, Joshua is about Joshua Gimon. The whole situation was so odd to me knowing the area. Yeah. Uh, Haley says, what is the podcast called again? It sounds very cold. Simply vanished. And like I said, this guy is from Minnesota. And so knows a lot about St. John's university there and all the stuff that has gone on there over the years. But he's talked to quite a few people. Um, so uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, Valerie, it's never easy to lose a parent. I look at the positive. My dad will want me to be happy and celebrate his life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kathy says, your, your uncle is very cool. Well, I'm glad I have you fooled, Kathy. All right. Um, something else that I want to mention is probably within the next month, um, probably going to be revisiting a disappearance. You know how I do that once in a while. 
uh, maybe three times a year. I'll go back into the old catalog of Unfound and pull something out. I'll put up new commentary, especially if I feel it's a disappearance that maybe doesn't get mentioned a lot. Like the last one I think I did was Ashley Kohler's. I think that was back in December. You can probably expect within the next month that I'm going to be doing another one of those. Just because we're due, I'm talking to a lot of people, going to be doing a lot of interviews. That's not the reason, but I just think we're due for one of those. You know how I don't want anybody to forget about those uh, old, dis older episodes, not old disappearances, but older episodes from like the first couple years of Unfound when the listenership wasn't what it is today. So I haven't picked one out yet. I've been looking for uh, recommendations from my assistants, but if you would like to uh, recommend a disappearance, an episode from the, once again, the first couple years. So let's say from the beginning, which is September, 2016, maybe to, you know, the end of 2017 or into 2018, something like that. If you'd like to recommend one that you would like to hear rebroadcast with new commentary on it, um, you know, send me uh, maybe an email, uh, a suggestion on one of those. I'm not going to do one that we just did within the past year. It's just, it's going to have to be an episode that was very early on in Unfound's existence. So, of course, we've already done some. Ashley Kohler, we did Tom Brown's last summer, uh, Robin Abrams. Uh, we rebroadcast Andre Bowman's when it came out that Dennis Bowman, of course, did kill her and her remains were found. So there have been a, a variety of reasons we've rebroadcast episodes, revisited them, take another look at them. So I'm taking recommendations. So think about that. All right, let's move on to this. I want to talk about this article that was written about the TV show Cops. And I know a lot of you uh, have seen that show. Uh, a lot of you are around my age. I know the demographics uh, of the audience for Unfound. And I know a lot of you may be growing up, watched that show. It's, it got popular, uh, came out in the late 80s. And it's where TV crews or camera crews were going around with police officers, major cities in the United States, seeing what they do riding around in the backseat, the cops are talking to the camera, and then things pop up. Maybe there's some car chases, uh, whatever else. And so this is an article uh, from Real Clear Science, which is a division of Real Clear Politics, which is a news site, and I want to read it to you. Americans generally have no idea what is going on in America. This is particularly true when it comes to crime. Since 1990, rates of violent crime and property crime have steadily declined. Who else has said that? Me. The downtrends stalled only by a few brief periods of small increases, including the one we're experiencing today in the wake of COVID-19, the COVID-19 pandemic. Yet despite the fact that the United States is now unquestionably safer from crime than it was 30 years ago, or as I like to say, when I was born in 1970, almost 52 years ago, when surveyed, Americans overwhelmingly believe the opposite. Every year since 1989, as part of its polling on crime, Gallup has asked respondents a simple question. Is there more crime in the U.S. than there was a year ago or less? And each year except for 2001, 
the Americans polled said there was more crime by an average margin of margin of close to 50 points. So 75% said there was more crime. 25% of the respondents said there was less crime. A significant reason for this massive misperception is the media. Crime is regularly depicted on network television shows, print and visual news, and in reality TV. So though most of us will only rarely experience crime in our lives, if we ever do at all, we see and hear about it all the time. This places crime squarely at the front of our minds. And perhaps no show has been more responsible for the placement than Cops. Since premiering on Fox in March 1989, see, I always thought it started in like 85 for some reason, there have been 33 seasons of the syndicated reality show. Across its 1,100 episodes, camera crews tail along with police officers as they perform their duties, busting prostitutes, responding to domestic disputes, chasing burglary suspects, and apprehending illegal drug users. Reruns of cops have, cops have been on TV almost constantly over the past couple decades. You'd be hard-pressed to find an American who hasn't seen at least a few episodes of the show. This presents a double problem. Because as cops has made crime viscerally memorable, it has also misrepresented crime and policing in general. According to documentarians who studied the show and its social effects, there were about four times more violent crimes in cops than in reality, and three times more drug arrests, and about ten times more, more arrests for sex work. The cops on the show are also, statistically speaking, extremely good at their jobs. Segments on the show end in arrest 84% of the time. In reality, about 11% of all serious crimes result in an arrest. Only 11%. And about 2%, only 2% end in a conviction. Uh, Shima Bogman, a professor of criminal law at the University of Utah, wrote, Two different analyses have also revealed that cops depicts African-American and Hispanic men as far more responsible for violent crime than they are in actuality, skewing the public's impression of racial minor minorities. A survey conducted in 1996 found that regular viewers of cops and other crime-focused reality shows were significantly more fearful than infrequent viewers of being sexually assaulted, beaten up, knifed, shot, or killed. Other studies have repeatedly shown that viewers who watch large amounts of crime on TV tend to be more afraid of crime and more inclined toward law and order. Crime is frightening, so it makes sense to at least be somewhat wary of it. But by and large, thanks to media representation and shows like Cops, Americans grossly exaggerate the prevalence of crime, resulting in unnecessary fear, irrational choices, and poor policy decisions. So uh, let me see here before bad boys, bad boys. That is the show. Yeah. Right. Uh, even the real Australia knows about that. Um, talking about uh, Minnesota. Okay. Um, this is one of those things, as you know, uh, it's come up in this live show and it has come up on the episodes once in a while. I continue to say in the year 20, in the 21st century, since Unfound got started in 2016, the United States is a vastly safer place than it was when I was born on August 1st, 1970. 
a vastly, vastly safer place. If you want to just, uh, you know, make a comparison, I, the, the example I always bring up in, and realize, I realize this is a fictional movie, but you look at the movie, uh, The French Connection. That's New York City of the late 60s, early 70s, and then you compare it to now. A totally different world. And in fact, New York City is one of the safest large cities in the world, not just in the United States. That was, it wasn't like that in 1970 when I was born, when the World Trade Centers were going up. Not even close. But since then, murder has gone down, rape has gone down, robbery has gone down, and you've heard, you've heard me talk about this before. Now, what hasn't gone down? Suicides are way up since 1970. Drug use, addiction, way up since 1970. Mental health issues, way up since 1970. But crime overall is down. But so what is going on here? Why is cops this way? Do they plan it to be this way? Uh, why are the, the statistics of cops so far off from reality? Well, this is why, where I like to always remind everybody it's a TV show. It is not news. And this is one of those things that I've always uh, tried to stress about Unfound compared to many, many, many other true crime podcasts out there. This is a news program. The Friday episodes are a news program. We, we display the facts, we present the facts as they are. We do no sensationalism. Whereas my impression is a lot of podcasts do do that. In fact, a lot of podcasts, true crime podcasts, are like cops, are like the show Cops. Now, why is cops like that? Well, you don't really think that they're going to send a camera crew out to a town of 3,000 people and hope to make a crime show out of it, do you? Because all the crimes, the 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 um, that's not to say that crimes don't happen in in towns with three thousand people. They do, but do you really want to sit around day after day after day after day waiting for it? <laughs> do you really, really want to sit around day after day after day to for that police officer, the one police officer in that town, to catch that one DUI driver that happens once a month? Of course not. So. The reason they send these camera crews to cities is because, not necessarily because more crimes are committed, but because there's more people there. And where you have more people, you're more likely to have more crime. So it's very efficient for them. We're just going to send them to a big city where there's a lot of people, and we know stuff is going to happen. And we'll be there. And our cameras will be ready. The issue, though, is... As you all know, as far as um, minorities or majorities, whether it's Caucasians, whites, or Hispanics, or blacks, or uh, Asians, or, or Native Americans, or whoever else, they're not ev evenly distributed across the United States. That's the issue. 
It's not that we have these little towns of 1,000 and these big cities of a million. It's that the racial makeup of the small town is different from the racial makeup of the big town. Or, and we know that minorities tend to live in city areas, urban areas, whereas a lot of white people live in these cities or these little towns with 1,000 people. So that so it's not like the producers of the show Cops are racist or they're trying to make any particular minority look bad or anything else. It just happens to be that they need to send their cameras to the places where the most people are. And in the places where the most people are, those places tend to have a lot more minorities than the, the general population. If you don't know, for example, blacks make up 12% of the American population, but they make make up 40% in any particular city. And so then it, it, if you send cameras to that area to cover crime, it should not then be unusual. If you get way more um, than 12% of the crimes being committed by blacks, that's what's going on here. But I agree. It totally distorts everything. And even though I, you know, I watch cops. I can remember watching it. I remember watching it in college. Um, I could see where if people, you know, if they just take the show for what it is, I can understand why many people will start to believe things that aren't true. Whereas if you can try to put it all together, you can watch the show and you can still learn a lot about policing you can still learn a lot about crime. You can still learn a lot about uh, what's going on in the drug war in America and all those things. You can certainly learn quite a bit, but don't let the demographics fool you. But I think a lot of people do. And don't let, let yourself think, well, man, it just seems like it's crime after crime after crime after crime. What's going on in the United States? Well, I think what I'm saying is had cops, the show come out in 1970, they would have even had an easier time finding crimes to cover. So um, it, it is a distortion, but you have to react. That's what reality TV is. You, you know, I'm not a big fan of the Kardashians, of course. I am. Um, you know, I'd never watched Survivor and all these shows that, you know, the housewives of this, the housewives that I've never watched any of it. And surely it is all scripted. Cops isn't scripted, but it is, uh, it takes place in a way to make sure that they can fill up that half hour or hour with crime because that's what the show is. So in that way, it distorts reality. They don't just go take cameras out and randomly go to a place. They go to specific places. That distorts the reality of the entire situation. Um, but you have to realize also something. Cops is not a new show. It's entertainment. Got to realize that. So, uh, and I wanted to cover this because uh, I know a lot of you watched Cops when it was out. I haven't watched Cops, and I know it got taken off the air. Maybe it's back. I hadn't watched Cops for a long, 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 long time. But I, even reading that article, I'm surprised that it came out in 1989. I thought it came out in about 85 or something. I don't know. 
I must have watched it quite a bit while I was in college at Grove City. It must have been on there. That's where I, I guess I watched a lot of it, even though I don't remember it. But I know I've seen many, 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 many episodes of that. They've been in, they were in Pittsburgh. They were in Las Vegas. So I just thought you would find that uh, interesting. Uh, another, of course, another thing that has not gone, gone down since 1970 are disappearances. Disappearances still happen at a fairly regular rate as compared to 1970, even though uh, murder and all of these other violent crimes have gone down. Um, let's see what everybody's saying here. Um, there's Hope says, interesting article. I think watching way too much crew crime YouTube videos has done the same to me. There's Hope says, my supervisor said the same to me about this time, his time in New York City. Yeah, it's a totally changed place. Yeah, you would not have wanted to live in New York City in the 1970s and 80s. Totally different place, even today. The Real says, sensationalism. Have to make people watch it. I'm not sure how many people would tune in to watch parking tickets getting placed on windscreens. That's true. Moana says she's late. You're allowed to be late, Moana. Um, Jebra says, I thought of drug use in the late 60s, early 70s would have been more wildly used. Hmm. Yeah, uh, we have more addicts now. I think as a percentage of the population, Deborah, we have certainly way more addicts now because there's just more drugs to be addicted to, both legal and illegal. All right, so there's that article. Uh, let me answer another question. Carol asked me if... Uh, if I have any plans to ever visit any disappearance locations, I think I just talked about this maybe a couple weeks ago. Uh, I would love to do that. I would love to, um, go, you know, of course I went to Canadian, Texas. I went right to the spot where Tom's Durango was, and I've been to a few others. I went up to with Lacey Buenfils. I went up there. Uh, when uh, I covered that disappearance uh, way back in 2018 up there around the Ocala area. So I've been to a few, but I, I, I would find it fascinating to go to some of these uh, locations. I went to, of course, it's not a disappearance that we've covered on Unfound, but Sherry Mann from Western Pennsylvania. I went right to the spot where she got off her bus that day. I'd love to do that, Carol. I uh, just don't know how we'd get that done. I'd probably have to have an RV or something, and that would take a lot of time. And how would I continue to do the podcast? And maybe, maybe one of these days I can uh, make it happen. You know, maybe uh, that, but certainly always a possibility. Would love to do that. Um, Thank you, Jane. Um, harder drugs now, Sweet Gator, probably. Even uh, to hear people talk about marijuana, the stuff that people smoke today, it, you know, is like, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like uh, 120 octane compared to the 87 octane of the late 60s. At least that's what I've been told. You know, I don't do any of that stuff. All right. So, Carol, I'd like to do that one day. But, uh, man, I would have to find some time to do it. Uh, Laura, I think you're in here. You asked me about TikTok. Uh, 
TikTok, if you're not on there, maybe you should be on there. You get your uh, little video, these previews that I've started doing there. I'm sure a lard asked me if I'm going to start using that for more things. I think I could. I kind of just maybe have to just kind of ease into it right now. Finding out what works for me, what time, you know, what kind of time do I have to do these certain things. But I could see TikTok becoming um, more relevant to the overall social media picture of Unfound. Sure. Sure. But we've only been there, I don't even think, for a month now. I think I have four videos on there. So um, still working some of the kinks out, but I could use it probably for more. Sure. 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 Uh, as you know, we're already on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on um, Instagram. And then we're all on YouTube as given that we're all joining here on tonight. And this channel is, is has existed since, I think, in 2018 sometime. Um, moving on. Next topic is uh, tomorrow. Um, I don't know how much unfound work I'm going to get done tomorrow. I am actually, I guess through Zoom, going to be working with this UK company starting to put together the series that I've talked about regarding the murder of Janelle Matthews and, um, you know, the, the first trial of Steve Pankey and another trial, I guess, is going to happen this fall. So, Charles, if you're still in here, maybe you'll be seeing me in Greeley again if you want to take a cruise up and uh, bring the boys with you. It'd be cool. Uh, but I, I, I have no idea. I should say, for the record, I have no idea if I'm going to be asked to go back out there. I would be surprised, but I was surprised the first time. But tomorrow I'm going to start working uh, over Zoom with this company, uh, trying to put together what this series is actually going to be. Um, I've sent them a lot of material since last week. Uh, I sent them the blog that I wrote about being out there in Greeley. I sent them the, my transcripts of what I said during the trial. I don't know if they have the, the transcripts of the entire trial. I have no idea one way or the other. They should have them. Uh, that, that's certainly a recommendation that they should have them. I do not have all of the transcripts for the entire trial. I also sent them... Uh, the the interview outline that I used with Steve back in 2019, October, uh, November of 2019. So I think that I've sent them, uh, you know, everything that I have. So uh, we'll see what uh, they want to put together. Now, I'll be honest. I have a lot of very, hey, I'm going <laughs> to, nobody would be surprised. I'm an ideas man. I got all sorts of ideas. You give me uh, an idea about a TV show or, you know, it, I could probably come up with three or four good ideas right away. And, and it's one of these issues where I wish I had time to kind of work on a fictional mis missing persons series that maybe, um, you know, could play on Netflix or something. I just don't have the time to write it, but I got a lot of great ideas up here. So with, this uh, UK company, um, maybe some of these ideas and things will uh, start to come out. I really don't know how long this series would be. Will be, I think it's going. It will be. They're planning to do at least three episodes. If we get to that point, um, we'll just have to see. But um, 
So that's going to be tomorrow, and they're actually going to be paying me for my time. So it'll be them and nobody else for that period, however long it's going to be tomorrow. I really, I really, really don't know how long it will be. But so if you can't reach me like you usually can, I think I'm fairly responsive on all the different places that Unfound is. Uh, that'll be the reason. Uh, given that they're in the UK and I'm over here, uh, I'm guessing this isn't going to go to like eight tomorrow night or anything. I really don't know. It may just be two hours. It may be five hours. It may be eight hours. But at some point, you know, they're like um, four hours ahead. So at some point, I, I think they go home too. But that this kind of, even though I've had some talks with this one particular guy back and forth, uh, this, uh, I think, officially starts me working with them, uh, giving that they're now going to be paying me by the hour. And I think we're also going to talk about a longer term deal um, for maybe the rest of this year. So it's exciting. It's great. I'm here to, I'm here to work. I'm here to help out. I'm here to give ideas. Um, that's what I do. That's probably what I'm best at as well. Uh, screaming, look at you screaming, uh, contributing through super chat tonight with your little, uh, uh, um, the iron maiden or heavy metal sign. Thank you. Screaming. You are very generous screaming. Thank you so much. Thanks. Appreciate it. Richard says, I'm totally stunned at the number of people that go missing. Richard, I've been doing this as a job for almost six years. Me too. We're trying to cut it down. Uh, and maybe you've heard me talk about it before. I think there are ways to cut the number of missing people who go missing down. I think it starts with really understanding mental health issues in the United States. I think it has a lot to do with... Um, Domestic violence, treating domestic violence. You know, I think we've made improvements there in the United States. I, I think that women know that they have places they can turn to when that happens, but we're not there yet. Uh, I think we could make some inroads in decreasing domestic violence, uh, mental health issues, suicide. If we can make uh, just make any of those 10% less at least disappearances would drop by a huge number, huge number. Uh, Crystal says unfound is the best. Don't forget to hit the like button. Yeah, please give, uh, we only got about 23 minutes left. Please give this. If you're watching live on this Monday night, give it a thumbs up. And for those of you watching or listening to the audio on the podcast feed, Yes, give this five stars, give it a thumbs up, whatever you can do in whatever podcast app you're listening on. Uh, sweet, did you say what this week's case is? Not yet, Sweet Gator, we're not quite to the end. I'm going to leave that to about 11.50 or 10.55, the last five minutes. Got a few things more to cover here first. And uh, Christy says, I agree, treating mental health, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jill says, I'm here and you're leaving. Well, uh, in about 20 some minutes, Jill, good to see you. Um, what do I want to talk about now? Uh, let's move on to another article. And this has to do with a crazy story. The baby Holly Marie story. I'm sure many, many of you have seen this. 
I'm going to read this article and then I'm going to do a little commenting on it. A baby who disappeared after her parents were found dead in the early 1980s is alive and well. Baby Holly's deceased parents were discovered in the woods in Houston in 1981. In 2021, the bodies were identified as Tina Gale Lynn Klaus and Harold Dean Klaus Jr. But their baby Holly, who is now 42 and an Oklahoma mother of five, was not found with them. Holly has been notified about the identities of her biological parents as, and has connected with her extended family, according to a news release Thursday from the Texas Attorney General's office. It was so exciting to see Holly, Cheryl Klaus, Holly's aunt, said in a statement, I was so happy to meet her for the first time. It is such a blessing to be reassured that she is all right and has had a good life. The whole family slept well last night. During a press conference Thursday, Brent Webster, first assistant AG of Texas, told reporters about the ongoing investigation. While we rejoice today that Holly has been found and families that were looking for her for decades rejoice, we are still looking for the suspects in this case, Webster said. Webster said, this is where it gets weird. Webster said two women who were members, members of a nomadic religious group brought Holly to a church in Arizona. Webster did not include details about what happened to Holly after she was left at the church. The women who left Holly at the church wore white robes and were barefoot, Webster told reporters. They indicated the beliefs of their religion included the separation of male and female members, practicing vegetarian habits, and not using or wearing leather goods. Sounds like a couple of my ex-girlfriends. The group is believed to have traveled to Arizona, California, and possibly Texas. In the early 1980s, members of the group were seen in Yuma, Arizona, asking for food. Around late December 1980 or January 1981, the families of Holly's parents received a call from someone who identified herself as Sister Susan. Sister Susan said she was calling from Los Angeles and wanted to return the family's car. She said the couple would join the religious group and was giving up all their possessions. She also said the couple no longer wanted to have contact with their families. The family contacted local authorities and agreed to meet Sister Susan at the Daytona racetrack in Florida. So she's calling from LA. They're like in Texas or Arizona and they meet in Florida to so this car, to get this car. The family said they met two or three women and possibly a man. The women were wearing white robes or red wearing robes and appeared to be members of the religious group. Webster said police took the women into custody, but no records have been identified in connection with the incident. Webster said that wasn't unusual given the age of the case. The families last heard from the couple in October 1980. Webster urged people to come forward with any information on the case. The members of Holly's extended family are relieved that Holly has been found. I believe Tina's finally resting in peace knowing Holly is reuniting with her family, said Shirley Glenn Green, Holly's aunt. I personally am so relieved to know Holly is alive and was well cared for, but also torn up by it all. That baby was her life. Crazy story. 
Uh, I even have it written in my notes uh, that there's nothing in my missing persons experience, which is extensive, to what are, you know, what are we supposed to think about this? Um, what caught my, I have to say, and once again, as you know, I do the show with notes off to my left. Maybe you're looking at it your right. Uh, I'm reading from it, and then I have some notes right after the article. What caught my eyes or ears is that here these women were in this religious religion or cult and they're giving up the baby to a different religion it's that's you know i have to tell you that this is the part that makes me wonder if this just wasn't some scam that they were doing to cover up the fact that they murdered two people we're going to claim that we're in a cult we're going to claim this. We're going to say this. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And, but maybe they didn't have the heart to kill the baby or something. And then they give the baby up to a different denomination. They're worshiping something and they give it up to an established church, which is worshiping something else. This doesn't sound common to me. You know, I can't imagine, even though we know most religions get along. Uh, Christians and Jews, uh, Christians and Muslims, although I know in a certain part of the world, Jews and Muslims don't get along very well, but here in the United States, they do. Um, you know, I can't imagine a, a, a Christian religion, uh, you know, giving up a baby to a Jewish church, even though the religions get along just fine. Or any any combination, Hindu, Buddhist, whatever you want. That's the part of this article that, you know, it makes it seem like it's just not something, uh, it, it just totally feels unreal. And I guess on the other hand, we have to be thinking about, are there other situations like this? Now we know that cults or groups like this do not have a very good track record in the United States. We of course can think of Jim Jones who remember started in the United States. And then when uh, California authorities starting to started to think, Hey, what the heck's going on? Or he took his cult down to Guyana and that's where he and, and all those people died. Um, we also know it's a kind of an unknown story, but in what was it? The 1970s or eighties, there was a town in Oregon that was taken over for a while by a group like this, and it got very violent, and there were murders and everything. Um, there's that. Given that I live in Clearwater, I can see the Scientology capital from the balcony over here, and we know all the stories that are out there about them, whether you want to believe them or not. I know a lot of people believe them, a lot of people not. Don't I don't know. Um, and I've lived in the Clearwater area for over 10 years, just nothing to me. Um, but you can't imagine any of those groups. Uh, for example, a Scientologist couple giving up their baby or a baby they find to the Roman Catholic church. You can never see that happening. Can't even imagine it. Um, but we know these, uh, groups sometimes have problems with the law with uh, abuse, um, sexual abuse, 
mental abuse, people being held against their will, uh, evading, you know, all, you know, all sorts of things. So it's not out of the realm of possibility to believe that these two people who were murdered, who seemingly became part of this cult, might be other people out there who grew, joined this group that ended up dead too. Now, the question is, why did these why did these two people end up dead, but the baby survive? And why did they do this with this baby? I don't know. I don't know. Um, it just, uh, it's, did they get into it and then decide that they wanted to leave? Because, you know, does anybody, I guess, I'm not much into that. And I know some of you are. Some of you are into following cult activity or religious activity of groups like this in the United States, it kind of sometimes falls into the realm of true crime and not even something like this. Any idea what this group's name might have even been? These women wearing these robes and uh, not wearing uh, leather or whatever it was. Uh, any idea, you know, what this group uh could have even names itself. You know, I, I started thinking of like the Hare Krishnas, which uh, they used to have a huge uh, presence at the airports in the United States. In fact, they make fun of it in at least one of the airplane movies. It just doesn't seem like that's done today. Of course, with 9-11 and everything else, no, really nobody's allowed to hang out at airports anymore. Um just a wild, wild story. Very sad that these two people were murdered. It's nice that the baby survived. And with DNA these days and 23andMe and Ancestry.com, all of these things can happen. And, and it's all spectacular. But, you know, I got to get to the bottom of what happened here. But I'm inclined to believe that surely these this couple who was murdered Probably not the only ones if we're thinking the right way. So, um, not sure what to think, but you have to understand that the, even, even though they had the bodies since 81, as it says in the article, it took them 40 years to identify them. And it was only because they finally identified them that they could then track down her. So, you know, th this couple went um, unidentified for all these years. You wonder how that happened because, as we know, um, there, even though we've covered a few of them, uh, you know, Molly Miller and Colt Haynes maybe is one example. We've covered some couples who have gone missing, Chris, uh, Christopher Mittendorf and his girlfriend, uh, the other names are escaping me, but the couple who believe they went to 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 uh, to uh, Mexico, but it's still fairly rare. And you would think when a man and a woman are found together, that it would be kind of easy to narrow it down. But it, I guess, they weren't able to do that, and they had to wait till DNA kicked in. And I also find that interesting about this particular article. So it's everybody staying here. Very strange story. 
Um, somebody had to raise her and send her for shot school. It sounds like fishy to me. Well, Deborah, she was given up uh, to a church and I guess she was given to some good people who raised her. That's the weird part about it. That these, this, I'm just going to call it a cult. This cult gave it, gave the baby up to like an established religion, people, established religious people. That's what I find confusing. Uh, Julie says the Illuminati love blood sacrifices. Casadega, Florida. Okay, I'll, I'm going to stay away from Casadega. Charlotte, when my great aunts on my mom's side were still alive, they told me that their dad's side of the family slammed their door in their faces. His family was Jewish. Well, there is that anti-Semitism out there, Charlotte. It's very sad. It's horrible. Charlotte, my great-grandmother's family was Christian as they disowned the children. Uh, the Jewish family disowned the Christian family. You got stuff going on, Charlotte. I'm sorry to hear all of that. Charlotte says that story was very strange. The real, there's so many of these types of groups, too many to count. I think Julie says mind boggling. And then Julie, LOL. So does once again, um, any of you, any idea what this group's religious group cult group's name might've been at the time? I really have no idea. Like I said, I think of the Harry Krishnas. Um, you know, there was the Heaven's Gate cult. Remember those people who, who the Hale Bop Comet, when they thought that they were going to die and get transported? Remember that? That was like in LA in the 1990s, I think. I don't know. So I wanted to read that story. Uh, it's certainly a cruise time, crime story, kind of a disappearance story. This couple was missing, as was their baby. And it turns out that the baby's alive. The parents are dead. I don't think anybody could have predicted that anyway. And also, uh, I don't think I'm going to have time to read the article and comment on it, but there was this article about this, um, uh, what's her name? Sylvia Friends, who was murdered by her son. And uh, what's confusing about this, this was a disappearance that was about four years old. And it turns out that Sylvia, her remains were on her property the whole time. She went missing. Her son took off, had her banking account information, was spending her money. And, you know, he was being questioned about it. But he said, yeah, my mother took a, took a trip somewhere. This is, this is kind of like the man said disappearance, right? Except it's a son talking about his mother. Well, the house got sold. She goes missing. The house got sold. The new family is in there. The new people were in there. And they said, there's something smelly here. And here her remains were on the property the whole time somewhere. How does this happen? How can it be that a woman goes missing and a police report is found? And surely this property was searched and somehow her remains were missed. How does that happen? So if you want to look that up, I'm not going to have time to read the entire story. But her uh, name is Sylvia Friends, F-R-E-N-S. And her son's name, who is now in custody for the murder of his mother, Richard, Richard Vanderveld, V-A-N-D-E-R-V-E-L-D-E. -E if you want to check out that story. Uh, one more piece of news uh, before I go to this Friday's episode. Uh, slowly starting to put together my lineup of uh, fall semester presentations. 
looks like I'm going to be over in Lakeland uh, early September, like September 20th. And then a couple days later, I'm going to be down at Nova Southeastern with our friend, Dr. Telesco. I think I'm going to do a presentation and we're going to do a show while I'm down there. And then I'm going to be up in Louisiana probably in October, like I was last year around the same time. And then going to line up Florida International University again. I think that'll happen in November. So things are happening for those presentations. Man, if I could get like six or seven in for the fall, that would be spectacular. But I think I'm already to four. So maybe I need to up that. Maybe I need to get to eight. So that's slowly coming together. And you know how much I love speaking to the college students. All right, let's move on to this Friday's disappearance. And uh, although I did not write the the listeners or viewers name down, uh, Deborah says septic tank. Yeah, they, they described it. Uh, Sylvia was found in a manhole on the property. Once again, why doesn't that get searched? I don't know. This is like uh, this is like Zoe Campus's uh, murder all over again. But this Friday, I need to thank a um, a listener who uh, maybe a month ago, five weeks ago, made a post right here on YouTube. Had been watching whatever episode, and in the comments said, "Hey, have you ever checked out the disappearances of Justin Gaines and Kyle Fleischman?" I said, the names were both familiar, but I said, no, we've not covered them yet. I kind of know the names, but that's about it. Well, that kind of stuck in my mind. And I said, well, let's try to find out if I can get both of their families on the program. These guys did not disappear together. They disappeared in different states, but very short time span between both. One was in Charlotte and Justin is in Duluth. Duluth. Well, this Friday we were covering the disappearance of Justin Gaines. His disappearance is almost 15 years old. It occurred on November 2nd of 2017. Uh, I, After this listener made the recommendation, I was able to track down Justin's mother, Erica, and she appeared both in audio and video. Uh, she did a great, great interview. Um, and the interview goes not quite two hours long. But uh, Justin was an 18-year-old. Year old. Uh, he disappeared from Duluth, Georgia, on in the early morning hours of November 2nd of 2007. And it kind of plays out very much like the disappearance, uh, a disappearance that we covered way back in the first year of the program. And that was the disappearance of, let me find it here. I want to make sure I get her name correct. Hold on just a second. I hate when this happens. Um, Brandy Wells. We know that uh, if you remember Brandy Wells, she went out to a, a nightclub in, uh, um, in Texas and she disappeared from there. Her car was found later. Kind of the same thing with Justin minus the car. He went to a place, uh, a big, very popular nightclub in Duluth. 
And he was supposed to go there with some friends. They couldn't get in. He did. He hung out with a bunch of people in there. And then around 2 a.m., he started calling, trying to get a ride from somebody and couldn't. And a video camera shows him leaving the club and he goes off camera and is never to be seen again. If he would have tried to walk home, it was about five or six miles. It's Georgia. It's November. Not exactly bad weather. Um, the people who did talk to him on the phone as he was trying to find somebody to pick him up said that he was not drunk. He wasn't high, seemed to be pretty clear headed. And if you're wondering, uh, there aren't any major bodies of water or river in the immediate area of this nightclub. So he went missing at that time. Uh, his phone uh, stopped working or not long after it seems he left the property, but the last ping was about four miles away. And but you should know that a couple people have been charged with his disappearance, but these charges got dropped. But before Friday, I will be posting a, a video of a guy on video with his attorney saying he knows exactly what happened to Justin Gaines and he knows who did it. The title of this episode is called Look Who's Talking because this gives us a chance to, uh, I don't think we, although it's come up many times in many interviews, this whole thing about when people start taking credit for disappearances or who claim they know something about disappearances, what are we to think of that? So it's called Look Who's Talking. That's going to be the title of the episode. Uh, the interview is done, but I've not yet recorded my side of the episode. So the disappearance of Justin Gaines, G-A-I-N-E-S from, from Duluth, Georgia, Disappeared in the early hours of November 2nd, 2007. His mother, Erica, is the guest. The title of the episode is Look Who's Talking. And that's it for tonight. A lot of ground covered. Answered some great questions. Talked about Sylvia Friends, at least for a little bit. Um, this podcast that's coming out this Saturday. New one, Baby Holly Marie. Top Gun Maverick. The TV show Cops. These Haitian athletes who disappeared, subscribe to this channel. Give it a thumbs up. If you're listening just with the audio, give uh, this a very nice review in whatever app you're using. Talked about disc golf, the new smart TV, the Straysner poll, the um, TikTok, the UK company. Did so much tonight. Great show tonight, Ed. Thank you. So I hope you all have a great week. And uh, you'll see me on TikTok within the next few days uh, with the preview. And uh, that is about it. Thank you all for watching. Thank you all for listening. And uh, you'll hear me or see me this Friday for the disappearance of Justin Gaines. Thank you all so much. Great show tonight. Thank you all for taking time out of your Monday night to watch or whenever you're listening to this, thanks to all of you as well. Good night.